just wanted to let you know uh, real quick, uh, we have one more week in this uh, nine-month-long series on Matthew and some related Old Testament passages. Next week is the last one in this series. I think, isn't that right? Next week. And then we start a summer series in the book of Galatians uh, called uh, Religion and Faith is Like Oil and Water. And that's going to be the whole topic for the summer in the book of Galatians. I'm really excited about it. Also, did you know the first Sunday in October we're going to be adding an 11 o'clock service for our garden folks to come to. So for those of you that struggle to get up because your prayer time starts at 5 and goes to 9 and you're late for church because of that four-hour prayer time, now you can come. Just don't add another hour to your prayer time. Then it'll make it tight again. We don't want you to do that. So, I mean, we do want you to... Never mind. Bad one. Um, embracing victory. Uh, interesting. You know that Nike swoosh? I put that Nike... Com- I love that commercial. That goes back a long way. It shows Jordan, Michael Jordan. It shows Bo Jackson. Andre Agassi, isn't that a blast from the past, right? Andre Agassi's on there. Show some other guys, you know, that were really dominant at the time, and it's a great commercial. Uh, did you know the word Nike is a Greek word? It means I win. Nikao is the verb form of it, to conquer, to get the victory. And if you were going to say I win in Greek New Testament language, it would be Nikao, I win. And that's the kind of the concept that I want to get across to you guys. Last week, we talked about embracing and confessing that we're weak, confessing our weaknesses. And and we know that our weaknesses are still there. But what we talked about last week is that your weaknesses don't have to define you anymore. Being chosen is what defines you. And, you know, we can bring ourselves to embrace our weaknesses, and, and there is in actuality a strange comfort in admitting, you know what, I'm flawed, I'm not good enough. But for some reason, we feel unworthy to embrace victory that we've been granted by grace. For some reason, oh, we understand, and yes, we know that we suck, we know we've got sin, we know we've got problems, and we can embrace that part of us, but for some reason, even those of us who have tasted grace through faith in Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection for our sin, even in the midst of believing that, for some strange reason, we feel guilty or dirty if we claim victory. Like it's arrogant or something. We're going to talk about that today. And the passage uh, that we're going to do is Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14. I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to highlight some at the very end. I love what Paul says here. This is right after chapter 5 when he talks about embracing our weaknesses. And you guys remember how we did that last week, and I share with you some of my own. But look what Paul says in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue living in sin so that grace will abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're also baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. For we have, if we have been united with him in, his de- in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And I love what he says here. We know 
that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that he will also live, we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Christ. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And before we go to the next part, I want to make sure that you understand in a nutshell what he says in those verses. We can't continue to live like we're slaves to sin. Our old self died with Christ and we have become a new person. Once Christ gives us the gift of faith and we believe and trust in the resurrection, we are a new person and we must live as though we are a new person. And then I love what he says in the last part of this chapter. Let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And Paul basically says, hey, wake up. Stop living like you're still a slave to sin. Stop using the parts of your body for sin and use them for righteousness because sin does not have dominion over you any longer if you have faith in the work of Christ. So the key question <coughs> that Paul asked here, if grace abounds where sin abounds, should we just sin freely in order we can get more grace? Oh, you know, it's under grace. I can do whatever I want. And the answer to that question is no. Because upon conversion, when God gives you the gift of faith, we not only gain forgiveness. Yes, we're forgiven. We understand that. But when God gives you the gift of faith, it's not just forgiveness that you receive. But you also receive a new heart that is inclined to holiness. In other words, I'm not saying that you're perfect, but what begins to happen is you are given a new nature, you become a new person, and you still might struggle, but your heart no longer is, I love sin. Your heart now is, I struggle with sin, but I hate it, but I love Jesus. And that's what begins to happen. That's where the, the focal point, the transition, the pivot takes place. As a matter of fact, there's a passage that says just this. I love this passage in Ezekiel. Here's what God says he does. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone. In other words, the heart that can't believe, the heart that is rock solid, the heart that is hard. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. In other words, a heart that lives, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And what Ezekiel is talking about here is this miraculous, amazing transformation that takes place in our heart when we finally do have a saving knowledge, a saving understanding of what Christ did for us on the cross. I can't explain it to you. I can't do a science experiment that proves it. 
It is part of the gift of faith for you to recognize, not only do I believe in the resurrection, but I believe that because I trust in the resurrection of Christ, God has made me a new person. My heart is different than it was before. I'm not cold to spiritual things. I'm hot to them. I, I love them. I gravitate toward them. Yes, I still struggle with my flesh, but my heart and my mind and my soul are going a different direction from my body. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk a little bit about what embracing victory does for you. Embracing this new life. Embracing victory does basically three things. You know what the first thing it does for you? It frees you from guilt. That dark pall over our life that sin left, that sin causes, is gone. Oh, the sin might still be around, and we might still have to endure some earthly consequences of it, but the eternal aspects, the eternal effects, are wiped out. Because the scripture says, this is what the scripture says, you are no longer under condemnation of the law. You are now under the cover of grace. So the first thing that embracing victory does, and embracing victory means trusting Christ and the work he did on the cross and believing in the resurrection and believing that his death was for your sin. Once you embrace that through the gift of faith, you're freed from guilt. That's pretty good, right? That's not all, though. You know what else happens when you embrace victory? It fills you with gratitude. You know, understand something. The driving force in our Christian walk, in our Christian life, no longer becomes about achievement, but it's a heart of thankfulness. I love how there's a, uh, there's a Christian rapper out there, Timothy Brindle. He's great. He, here's how he puts it. You aren't battling sin to gain God's favor, blessing, and honor but you are responding as a grateful, chosen responder. I love, he says, we are no longer trying to live our life so that somehow God might recognize, oh, he's really trying, I'll throw him a blessing. We're not trying to live our life in a way that pleases God because I hope I get his favor, so I hope I can get into heaven. That's, the scripture says, it's not by works, it's by faith. And what we realize is that we are no longer trying to earn God's blessing and favor. What's happened is God has chosen us. God has transformed us. He's given us faith, which is what? It's a gift. He gives us the gift of faith. And now we are just responding because we're chosen. We're not earning it. We're responding to it. But there's one other thing that embracing victory does. It fuels you. So it frees you from guilt, fills you with gratitude, but it also fuels you by grace. And what I mean by that is it gives you the motivation that you need to embrace victory. Our motive for having victory over sin or addiction or bitterness or anger or anxiety is not to gain God's favor but to experience the full power of what grace has done, can do, and will do in our lives. And what begins to happen is you say, you know what? I am so motivated by grace. 
I want to taste more of what this thing grace can do. Because you get bored with the forgiveness part, right? Yes, I'm forgiven, I know. I mean, am I just saying that, or can you guys relate to what I'm saying? I know I'm forgiven. We, we, we want to move on from forgiveness. And we want to go to be fueled and motivated by grace. Man, this grace was so crazy. Did it forgive me for all that stuff I did in the past? I can't believe how grateful I am. Man, all I want to do is bask in grace. And not because I need more forgiveness. That is done. I just want to experience more opportunity to respond in gratitude. Because, man, this grace, it's nice stuff. It's far better than anything I was ever addicted to. It's far better than anger ever made me feel. It's far better than trying to be a bad man always made me feel. It's far better than immorality. It's far better than lying. Grace is far better than stealing. Grace is far better than gossip and slander. Grace is far better than deception. Grace is far better than unfaithfulness. Grace kills all those things. It's so much better. And it fuels me. Sin's power has been broken. But I have to tell you, and you guys know this, the Christian life is never free from trouble. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, as your pastor, I can tell you I ache for you because I know how hard the battle is for me, and I shared some of the intimate details with you about that last week. And then Paul does a great job of explaining just how hard this is. In Romans 7, I'm just going to read it to you. I'm not going to put it up there, at least not yet. It says up here, it says, Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer who... Uh, I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Hear what he says? If I do something that I shouldn't, I have to recognize it's not me doing it anymore. It's sin that dwells in me. That's interesting. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil is right there enticing me. Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, or I, I delight in the word of God. In my inner being, I desire it, I crave it, I want it. But I see my body waging war against my mind. And it tries to make me captive to sin that dwells in my body. Then Paul says, this is Paul. Disgusting, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Paul expressing, I'm so frustrated because my heart and my mind and my soul wants so bad to please Heavenly Dad in response to what he's given to me, but my body is constantly tugging at my heart and my mind and my soul. And he says, who will rescue me from this disgusting, sin-riddled, weak flesh? Can anybody relate to that? I would be a really good Christian if I didn't have a body. Amen? Like, if I didn't have a body, man, I'd be... Like, man, whew. But look what he says in the last part. Who will rescue me? Here's what he says. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But here's what he says. 
But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit from life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, if you believe in the resurrection because of the gift of faith, you may not feel it, you may not want to realize it, you may not want to admit it, but there is no condemnation. So why on God's green earth would we waste our time heaping upon ourselves self-condemnation? Aren't we good at that? There's no condemnation. So why heap upon ourselves self-condemnation? Listen, before the gift of faith, we could make no choices regarding sin. It was who we were. We were sin. Before Christ, we had no choice. We were by nature children of wrath. That's what the scripture teaches us in Ephesians 2. But after the gift of faith was applied to you, after God gave you the gift and the ability to believe in the resurrection, those days are gone. Sin is not something that we are helpless against anymore. What sin becomes after Christ is something we choose to indulge in. It's not something that we must do. It's something that we want to do. Do you see the difference? This is the old nature, new nature. The new creature in us has the ability to say, I want it, but I'm not going to do it. It's kind of like me and cheese fries. Listen, I could eat cheese fries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You throw bacon on them, forget about it. You know what I mean? But you know what? I know that if I eat cheese fries as much as I want to eat them, that's right. We're going to have to reinforce this thing. <laughs> Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58. This is Paul again. I just love how he explains the victory. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, in other words, when we become children of faith, when the perishable, which is our body, becomes the imperishable, which is our soul, our spirit, through Christ and the work on the cross, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and he just quotes Isaiah here, death is swallowed up in victory. Isn't that a great picture? It says, death is is barely defeated on a last-second field goal by, by faith in the very last... No, that's not what he says. Death is blown out. It was like the Ravens-Bucks game last year. Anybody remember that one? The Ravens scored like six touchdowns in the first quarter. I, I was talking to one friend of mine. The reason I bring it up is because I was talking about this sermon, and I said, death is swallowed up in victory. He says, you know, I was at the Bucks game when they played the Ravens last year. He said, I didn't even get to my seat with my wings before the game was over. Guys, listen to me. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then there's a little trash talk. You know, it's always fun when you're winning by a lot to have some trash talk, right? Here's what he says. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Where are you at, playa? Basically what he's saying Here's what he says. The sting of death is sin, 
And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Look what he says. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, the, knowing that in the Lord your burden is not in vain. What an encouraging, motivating passage. See, God sets us apart by faith, and the Spirit empowers us to victory. And since power and resulting death has been swallowed up and defeated, however, sin does not give up easily. And until we are glorified in heaven, sin will always attempt, and some of you it's attempting right now, to reestablish its rule over you. It's not going to give up. Even though it's down 63 to nothing in the first quarter, it's going to keep trying. But because of Christ, sin ultimately will fail and it will die. Sin can regain temporary victory sometimes. And it can get temporary dominion over our body, right? Over our body, but not our soul and not our heart. We must be aware of the fact that sin is there. We must constantly fight it back. And in Christ, you are in a process. If God has truly given you the gift of faith, this is one of the examples of it to make sure that you have it. You are in a process that grows you, as we've learned in the last couple weeks. He transforms us, the scripture says, from glory to glory to glory. In other words, there are different stages in our life that we become more like Christ and more like Christ and more like Christ. And it is a process. And the further along you go in your walk with faith, the more you recognize that sin is swallowed up in victory, the more you realize that sin is no longer what I have to do It's what I want to do, and I can also not want to do it, and I move closer to what I'm supposed to be. You are free from condemnation. I hope every time you see that Nike swoosh now, you think of this. I win. When you see the swoosh, think of the cross. I win. You are free from condemnation, And there is nothing sin can do about it. Yes, I know that some of you would say, but I've really got some major problems in my life. I know. But if you are in Christ, it can have temporary dominion, but your heart and your soul and your mind, which desire the things of God, are safe. And as you be transformed from glory to glory, you will have more and more victory. Now listen. I'm not talking about being perfect, guys. We won't ever be perfect until our final place in heaven. We understand that. And as your pastor, I understand that some of you have sin that makes you feel uncomfortable. Sometimes your sin that is reigning in your mortal body, as Paul puts it, makes you feel unloved. I know that some of you have sin that makes you feel unwanted. I know that some of you have sin that makes you feel like you're just drowning in sorrow. I know some of you have sin that makes you feel like a worthless piece of slime. And I know sin can kick. Sin can scream. Sin can make all kind of noise. Sin can even dance in your face and talk smack to you. You're nothing. I got you. You can't get away from me. 
But as your pastor, I'm encouraging you and I'm begging you, keep running. Keep running. Keep fighting. And listen, no matter how hard it is, please keep working. Keep running. Keep fighting. Keep working. Because even if you don't feel like it, sometimes you may not feel like it, but you are winning if you're in Christ. You will win. And in many respects, you may not realize it, but you've already won. This is what I want to share with you in the end. See, last week we talked about this, right? You have embraced your weaknesses. Now it's time to embrace your victory. Because sin's grip on your life, even if it seems icy, frozen cold, sin's grip in Christ has been killed. It is now not sin that grasps you, but you know what it is? It's you, if you're in Christ, who is grasping sin. Do you see the difference? Sin had you by the throat. Christ came and cut sin's hand off. And now you have sin by the hand. That's the difference. It's still near. <coughs> People of faith can grab it. People of faith can be affected physically by it. But sin cannot grab you. It cannot grab us. And here's what I'll close with. It is a miraculous thing when God gives us the gift of faith and enables us to trust in the resurrection. We understand that, right? It is also a miraculous thing when the gift of faith enables you to have it click in your mind that says, oh, wait a minute, I'm not a slave anymore. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I can let it go. Guys, I'm begging you. Keep running. Keep fighting. Keep working. Because you are winning. You will win. And because of Christ, you've already won. Amen. Please stand with us. We don't, we're going to sing one final song together today. We don't do this very often where we will repeat a song during the service. But today, um, as I was praying through what Joe sent yesterday, God kept telling me that we needed to sing this song again. So um, sing with us this morning. Sing out. We are dead in our sin, but we rise in the same way that Christ has been raised to life. Here we go. <clears throat> This is my revelation. This is my revelation. Christ Jesus crucified. Salvation through repentance at the cross on which he died. Now hear my absolution. Forgiveness for my sin. 
And I sink beneath the waters that Christ was buried in. I will rise, I will rise as Christ was raised to life. Now in Him, now in Him I live. Churches, this is our victory. Sing this out. Here we go. I stand a new creation. Baptized in blood and fire No fear of condemnation By faith I'm justified But I will rise I will rise As Christ was raised to Confess your lordship and glorify your name. Your word, it stands eternal. Your kingdom knows no end. Your praise goes on forever and on and on again. No power can stand against you. No curse assault your throne. No one can steal your glory, for it is yours alone. Your praises, I stand to testify, for I was dead in my sin, but now I rise, I will rise, as Christ was raised to life, now in Him, now in Him, I live. Let's sing this again. As you are risen, declare your rule and reign. My life confess your lordship and glorify your name. Your word, it stands eternal. Your kingdom knows no end. Your praise goes on forever and on and on again. No power can stand against you. No curse assault your throne.
nothing that you can do that sin, no sin that will grasp a hold of you that will take you away from living in Christ, but your sin is a choice.